Thank you for having me. Yeah, lots of um, lots of witchcraft in Byron Bay. So not just influences and Chris Hemsworth, but uh, <laughs> as much as people think. But um, yeah, it is it is a wild and wonderful wonderful place to live. So I've been over there for about um, fourteen years now. But I did grow up in Scarborough. So where's everyone from? Is anyone from Scarborough? You did live there. <laughs> You're like, no, nothing good comes out of Scarborough, including me. Um, <laughs> um, it's actually the other way around. I'm, I'm privileged to be with you. I'm, I'm so honoured to be with you and what, what you guys are doing here. I've um, just come off the back of your live conference for the last three days, which has been amazing. And um, <clears throat> got a couple more things to do while I'm here, but it just feels like such a treat to come and be with you. <laughs> almost, almost fell off. It's going to be okay. Um, and so, yeah, I've been teaching on, did I give you my little clicker thing or did I put it in my back pocket? I'm christening it tonight. This is a new one. Praise the Lord. Um, I've been teaching on sex dating and relationships from a Christian worldview, from a biblical worldview, which is makes sense because God came up with the idea of sex, um, yeah, for about a decade now. So, um, And I've just written a book. It's over there. Just released it um, at the beginning of this year on that very topic. So um, that is what I'm here. Or as, as Sam said earlier, we're here to talk about sex, okay? <laughs> which is true it out. Um, and so what are, well, I might pray, but I actually just feel like I got a word for you, Sam. And um, where's, where's wifey? Did, I'm like, am I tripping? She was right here. Um, what is, what is her name again? Esther. Esther. And no, the prophetic word isn't about Esther. <laughs> but I just got, um, oh, I just felt it drop into my spirit that um, Esther has the Elijah anointing. And you have the Elisha anointing. And Elijah like, was the prophet of truth. So he spoke truth and he becomes a foreshadow of John the Baptist who prepares the way for Jesus. And I'm not saying you're Jesus. Okay, that's a cult thing like in Byron Bay. Okay, but um, I guess, <laughs> okay, lots of people think they're Jesus in Byron Bay. <laughs> we need to pray for them. Um, but no, I got <laughs> so many people. But I got a sense that uh, the Lord has anointed um, Esther to be a prophet of truth. I don't know if she even preaches, but I got a sense she's got like an, a gift to preach. And does she? Oh, sweet. And so I, <laughs> that's cool. But um, I, I've, there's an anointing there to preach truth, like cutting edge, cutting edge, John Baptist, Elijah kind of truth. And what those prophets did was prepare the way for the mercy of God. And so Elisha becomes the prophet of mercy. Um, but but he that was ushered in. The mercy of God and the grace of God was ushered in by the prophet that went before. And I just feel like for the both of you, I can write this down and give it to you later. But it's like this really powerful couple of, of she's got this thing of truth and you got this thing of mercy on your life. Like you kind of have this thing where you can usher in the mercy of God and help people sense the mercy and grace of God but she's got to go first she's got to, in order for you to do what you're gifted to do so you've got to work together on that can I like can, can I like prophesy that actually who else wants to pray because you have a do you want to pray lay hands on him and pray does anyone else want to pray yes Jared come come pray for him let's just do it like we got we got time like we got, it's, there's not that many of us in here we've got plenty of time to do this and you're going to hear me talk for like an hour on sex so like let's pray while we can hallelujah 
Yes, Father God, we just come in agreement today, God. We just thank you that um, that this word was given, Father God, that the, yes, Sam and Esther have been blessed with a, a prophecy, God, with a, a word over their lives, Father God. So we just agree, God. We just pray that they'll be blessed in their movements forward, Father God, that they would go in agreement together, God, that they would come together under you, God, and that they would walk this word out, Father God, that they would walk together and that they would, yeah, they would be those that bring truth and mercy to the people around them, Father God, that are people who come into contact them wouldn't just uh, know it from the way that they preach, but they'll know it from the way that they walk as well, Father God. It would be evident just in the way that they hold themselves and just in the way that they um, do relationship together, Father God. So God, we just agree, Ed. We just pray that this um, this word would be not just spoken, but it would be walked out as well, Father God, in your name. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, we just agree with this word and we thank you for it. We thank you that you have brought Sam and Esther together to be a team and that you will work even more powerfully through them together. So we thank you just for this encouragement, Lord. And yeah, I pray for boldness as they acted out and just that discernment with when is the right timing for that truth to come through and when is the time for mercy and that they would just feel a peace and a confidence as they walk this out. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was in my back pocket. Um, okay, so I am. it's a privilege to talk to you about um, an extremely crucial topic, uh, which is sex. And really, I don't think the church talks about it enough. It's one of the most assaulted areas, uh, and, and not just in our generation, by the way, okay? You should have seen what the Greeks were doing when Paul was writing the New Testament, okay? All right, so nothing's new under the sun. But I want to start by saying this. I love, Sam, that you were praying about truth. Um, so I want to talk about truth for a little bit before I get into it. Is that okay? Because, like, there's no point me talking to you um, about sex, like the Christian biblical worldview of sex, if you don't actually believe the Bible is truth. <laughs> like, I mean, you can just believe whatever you want. So, so as a Christian, I'm going to present tonight the biblical worldview. Like, so you either ascribe to that or you're not. But I'm going to preach the biblical worldview, the Christian worldview. And so, um, and we believe as Christians that that is truth. Um, and so I want to talk about truth. So what we believe about the Bible is that it's infallible, it's authoritative, unchanging, absolute and universal. The Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's an entire revelation, okay? And so the reason that I start with the Bible is because our perspectives of life and love and sexuality and even dating and singleness, and it's all in the book, okay? They come from a biblical perspective if we are to be followers of the man called Jesus from Nazareth, okay? And um, and so, and here's the thing, and, and the reason it's like, even even when I wrote the book, I, I'd started with sex. And usually it's like, are you going to like work your way up to that, Nikki? Or just like, like start with usually. And whenever I preach it, I start with sex. And then I move to dating. And then I move to singleness. And the reason I do that is because if we get a revelation of what God wants uh, for, for our sex life and sexuality, it actually gives context for marriage. It gives context for dating. And it gives context for your singleness. So like we, we start with sex. And that's pretty, um, makes a lot of sense because God starts there too literally the first thing he tells you to do in the bible in genesis is to have sex he says be fruitful and multiply to adam and eve and there's like literally only one way they can do that so god that's the it's the first thing he told us to do and all the boys said amen okay (laughs) they were married okay (laughs) all right we'll get to that we'll get to that in half an hour okay so (laughs) but back to truth abandoning the word of god and uh as the authority and the plumb line you guys know what a plumb line is it's like you know um 
and all corners. <laughs> Was that a good explanation? <laughs> it's just like uh, interpretive dance, okay? But um, <laughs> making the Bible, uh, abandoning the Bible, sorry, as the authority and making ourselves the authority is actually the idea behind modern humanism. And that is woke culture. That is trending culture, secular culture in the West, not anywhere else in the world, just in the Western world, okay? And so what happens is, and what has happened, um, as West, the Western world, which was built on the Bible, was built on Christianity, the entire Western world, the entire Western world um, is built on Christianity. And, and if you study history, the history books will tell you that. Um, but but um, what has happened is um, uh, Western culture, uh, pretty much since the Enlightenment, since the 18th century, the age of reason um, is they've drifted from a biblical worldview but it's really funny because when they started doing that that's when you got the revivals like the John Wesley revivals and stuff so God's like oh you're gonna drift I'm gonna start a revival so I think that is that's why I'm talking about revival coming to Australia I actually believe because if you study revivals right um every revival in history since the church um if you study all of them Every revival in history has uh, started when the morals of society have decayed to such a point that the church starts preaching truth into the prevailing issue and then revival starts. And like so 18th century, all of Europe and um, America got saved, okay? Anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. But um, when we <laughs> abandoned – it's because I was talking to someone about revival before. Who was it? Was it you? Was it you? Oh, okay, she's not here. She's gone. <laughs> she had enough of me. She's left. All right. And so um, when we abandon God as a source and measure of what is true, moral, ethical and beautiful, what happens is we're just left to define these things ourselves, right? Okay. And um, if you look at secular culture, people having a real hard time defining those things for themselves. It is absolute chaos. If when we don't have the Bible or God to do it, what, uh, what happens is we have no choice but to make ourselves God and create our own morality, right? That's just, this is what happens. It isn't not just in the West, but any person in the world will do that. And, but this is why live your truth is the catch cry of the West, okay? That this is what happens. So my truth is different to your truth. Um, we all get to subjectively define our own version of truth. And really live your truth is a um, really another way of just saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. It's just another way of saying that. And so, um, as I mentioned before, um, once upon a time, Western society was founded on the Bible. Just so you know, TikTok might tell you, might not tell you this, but the history books will. Um, uh, the Bible gave us education for children. It gave it birthed science, okay? The evolutionists don't want to tell you that, but Christianity gave birth to science, not any other culture. Um, and uh, it gave us hospitals and the Red Cross. It gave us orphanages. It gave us prison reform, abolition of slavery. It gave us abolition of child labor. It gave us aged care. Um, adoption, a fair legal system, the whole legal system, um, and uh, women's rights. That's the impact that the Bible had on society when we believed that it's truth. Okay, so um, things like right and wrong, identity, intelligent origins, and eternal destiny are clearly defined by the Bible, okay? And so, and so it's not really surprising that young people are walking out of classrooms into psychology offices when we're telling them that they don't have intelligent origins, they don't have a destiny because we're not teaching them the Bible in, in science class anymore. And we actually used to, if you go 
back 50 years. So is that making sense to anybody? And you're like, oh, you haven't said sex yet. What is happening, Nikki? I'm just, I'm setting it up, okay? <laughs> it's irrelevant to you if you don't believe in the authority of the Bible. Like there's no point listening to me if you don't believe the Bible is truth. It's like, forget about it. <laughs> so I'm just setting it up. And, and anyway, so... um. As people reject the authority and the absolutes of Scripture, I didn't even say hello to you before. I didn't get a chance, but you were at the table, the the uh, going against Amish culture, <laughs> sitting with the ladies. <laughs> okay, um, um, yeah. And so, as people reject the absolutes of Scripture, it shouldn't really surprise us that you get on Instagram and people start thinking of truth as fluid. Okay, your truth can be different to my truth, but that sounds benevolent. That sounds kind. It has disastrous consequences, okay? For truth to be fluid and subjective would actually break down the very definition of truth. Truth is only truth because it is absolute, right? And so, like, if you walked into um, a court of law... Uh, truth becomes really important and it can't be subjective. You can't say, well, I don't identify with robbing that bank. And it's like, it, it doesn't matter how you feel, like you either did it or you didn't. You can't inspire conviction or compassion if truth isn't true. If truth is subjective, it can bend to feelings and opinions. It's just not how truth works. And so um, really like, you know, and that's why our legal system is fair because it's based on scripture. So what does absolute mean? It means not qualified or diminished in any way, not relative, not comparative, universally valid. Oh, I might even have a slide. I completely forgot about my slides. Oh, that's cool. That thing like zzz, when I click it. Sorry, it's new and I'm just getting used to it. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, it's like our church is really bad with technology. So any form of technology that actually works, I'm like, praise the Lord, it's a miracle. Anyway, universally valid, unchanging, unconditional, ultimate reality. That's what absolute means. When we, and here's the good news, okay, when we surrender to God's absolute and unchanging truth, do you, know, do you want to know what the best news is? God's grace is equally absolute. It's not fluid. This is the gospel. His mercy is not, it is not qualified or diminished in any way. His kindness is unchanging and universally valid. God's grace is not fluid. It won't change. So if you sin tomorrow, if you break down next week, if you backslide next year, guess what? His grace will still be there to pick you up and dust you off and start again. It will not change. And so this is why if you want the grace, you also have to have the truth. Both are absolute absolute and unchanging and universal and able to be received by you okay is anyone happy that grace is not fluid <laughs> I definitely am um, as a saved sinner, okay? And so the thing is, the reason why this is important, why I'm talking about it, is because fluid truth has uh, given rise to subjective morality, you know, uh, morality that's subject to opinion. And so, um, and the unfortunate thing about subjective morality is that it's subject to change, <laughs> okay? And so, and and this is, and here's, here's what we're seeing, right? Hidden behind fluid truth is something called cancel culture, 
This is where it comes from. Cancel culture condemns and judges. It works retroactively and it demands retribution for past and present sins. This is, just, cancel culture is just judgment in another language, but hiding behind his truth is grace that cancels sin, okay? So, so uh, cancel culture is just judgment that is void of grace, just so you know. So secular world is like judgmental as, like cancel culture is judgmental as, right? Um, and that's where fluid truth actually takes us, okay? And so the gospel of Jesus is judgment that has been cancelled by grace, okay? And his grace is the same yesterday, forever, all right? His truth is concrete and unchanging, but so is his grace. And you can take that to the bank tonight, okay? Is everyone happy with that? And so on that note... I will finally start talking about sex. I'm going to tell the truth about... (laughs) Did you say finally? That's so funny. Um, And I will... (laughs) Fair enough. Like, that was a fair waffle. Okay, so I will be telling the truth. (laughs) Telling the truth to you about sexuality tonight and uh, Christian uh, worldview. And we're going to look at sex, obviously, um, in the context that God ordained for it. And the the context that God ordained for um, sex is, of course, marriage or probably a better word to use is covenant, binding covenant. So, And so we're given, you, you know, it's been asked a lot of times, well, then why are we given a sex drive before we can actually use it? Well, the reason for that, God didn't like sneeze like and accidentally give you hormones and a sex drive when he created you. It wasn't an accident. Um, the reason we're given, a, uh, given it before we can use it is to learn to steward the gift of sexuality, okay? Because it's actually a gift to be given to another image bearer, okay? And so you steward the gift um, and also you get to learn self-control when you steward something without being able to use it okay and trust me when you're married like they don't hand out magical discipline fairies at the altar when you get married okay you you need self-control within marriage and all sorts of facets of life right so learning to steward something as precious and sacred and powerful as that uh, before you can use it is actually the kindness of God it's kind of the reason he he gives us at least nine months to have a baby <laughs> you know, well, only nine months, not at least. Like it's just, just that's pretty concrete truth right there. Um, but it gives you nine, <laughs> no matter how you feel. Um, and, <laughs> and I've had three kids, so I know. But it's nine months he gives us um, and, and it's, it's, it gives you time to prepare and to steward a promise so precious. There's, there's nothing in life like it. There's nothing in life like it, right? And so, but aren't you glad he gave you some time to set up the nursery, <laughs> right? Learn how to change a navvy or... You know, did you ever go to those antenatal classes? I never did. I never did. Oh, really? Always the first one, never the next one. Okay. Um, and the third one, it's like we're just winging it from here. It took me like it took me like 20 weeks to get to an antenatal appointment for that one. Um, anyway, I want you to know, I want you to know tonight that literally everywhere that I teach this, there is always relational brokenness in the room. There's people and that's okay. Like this this doesn't get to be the place where people feel shame. This is not, not when we're talking about Jesus. Not when we're talking about the gospel right? Like this is where grace comes in. And I want you to remember tonight that it's our failures and our sin. Let's just use the word sin because that's what it is, right? Do we still believe in sin in Australia? Okay. They took it out of the Bible. Okay. And not the Bible, not the Bible. Sorry. That's my fatigue setting in. (laughs) Um, Out of the dictionary. They took the word sin out of the dictionary, but they did put selfie in. So thank God for our generation. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, so if, if, 
we have sexual or relational brokenness in our life, guess what? That's exactly what the gospel deals with. It is our sin that makes the gospel so stunningly magnificent. That's why it's good news. That's literally what gospel means. It means good news, okay? And and the reason the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is so magnificent and stunning is because he's in the business of renewing and redeeming. And in fact, one of the first missionaries you are going to encounter in your gospels or in the gospel of John, I should say, is going to be the Samaritan woman. And she is a woman with extreme sexual brokenness, okay? she's You've read John chapter 4. She's mixed up in a string of um, uh, broken relationships. What happens is uh, Jesus encounters her. (laughs) Jesus encounters her and meets her at her point of need. And she has a radical encounter with Jesus. Um, But they have a dialogue. They actually have a theological dialogue, okay? So it's not just an on-the-spot like, boom, you're changed forever. There's a conversation that takes place and there's an understanding that comes, which is literally why I'm doing this. Because I don't really think it's good enough for the church to be like, hey, no sex before marriage, you know? And and, and, and then that's it. <laughs> and not give like the why behind the what, right? Like there's got to be a conversation and a dialogue that takes place to go, all right, this is the vision of God. And it's actually so good and so powerful and so fruitful and so wholesome that that like everything outside of that is just not, not going to cut it. And this is what we're, we're working towards. This is why we have boundaries, okay? You only put boundaries around something that is high in value, right? You ever, you ever gone to a museum and like seen, like, when was the last time I went to a museum? Like never. We don't have those in Byron Bay. Don't know why that's the analogy I chose to use. But like, it's like, I've seen movies, guys, about museums. And so in the, muse- in the museum, you know, there's like the precious jewel in the middle. And, and have you ever noticed that the most expensive thing is surrounded by boundaries? It's in a glass case and it's got like lasers and well, in you know, in the movies it does. <laughs> I'm so cultured. And um, there's, you know, there's like cameras and um, it's like I've been nowhere clearly. And you know, there's all these boundaries around the expensive thing. That's literally the, why, because you protect what you value. So I want to show you the value of sex tonight because you're not going to put boundaries in your life. Why would you unless you believed it was inherently valuable, inherently valuable and worth protecting? So let's do it. And I'll just say one more thing. Jesus is not afraid of brokenness. It's just not It's not who he is. In fact, like, have you met the guy? Oh, the most enigmatic person I know, right? <laughs> and in, so what he does when he encounters our brokenness, like, sorry, I know him. I met him. Like, I meet him. Like, the guy is crazy. I love him. And, and so when he sees our brokenness, he leans in even closer. And what he says is what he says to the Samaritan woman. He says, oh, I'm, I, I choose you and I'm going to renew you and then I'm going to use you. And she becomes one of the first missionaries in your gospel. She goes home and testifies and her whole town gets saved, okay? Um, many, she, many people get saved as a result of her testimony. So praise the Lord for that. And so let's look at some stuff, okay? <laughs> like I really need to crack on. So the, and if I start going on a tangent, can someone just wave their hand and say, Red herring, stop it. We don't have time for this. We don't want to listen. Like, we don't want to listen. I know. I, I, I know. Actually, oh, 
yeah, I was, I was literally going to go on a tangent about, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, but I have so many fun stories. Anyway, okay, no, stick to the topic tonight. So the problem with the world's perspective of sex and TikTok and blah, 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 blah is that it doesn't affirm sex enough. It's just, it's not, the world's sexual gospel is not powerful enough. I'm sorry. It gets reduced to an activity that exalts pleasure over purpose and pleasure is not bad. Pleasure originated in God, okay? But as soon as you separate pleasure from purpose, you're going to get pain. And that's literally what happened in the Garden of Eden, okay? When they ate the fruit, that was a bad idea, literally cursed all of humanity, okay? <laughs> it's kind of a bad situation. And um, the Bible testifies, okay, that we are tri-dimensional, that this is not a one-dimensional activity. It's not even a two-dimensional activity, as in like, it's not just your body, if that might be one-dimensional. It's not just your body and your mind. It's your body, mind, and spirit. This is what sex is all about. It's body, mind, and spirit. Why is that? Because we're made in the image of a triune creator, Okay, he's three and one. It's the Trinity. We're made in the image of the Trinity in that sense. Um, <clears throat> and so sex itself, sexuality and sex is tri-dimensional. It engages in all three aspects of our humanity. Okay. And so what the world tries to do is separate that and tear it apart. Okay. And we'll talk about that in, in just a second. And so, but theologians have found fancy language for this and they call humans psychosomatic beings. Okay. Say that six times in a row. Psychosomatic. No, actually, I have to do that. But this means, what this means, psychosomatic, so obedient, Sam. So, such, such a pastor. Okay. This means that our mind, body, and spirit. You should have waved your hand. It's like tangent. Stop, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> okay. Um, mind, body and spirit are intrinsically connected, cannot be separated. Okay. And to separate them is to um, basically succumb to – oh, sorry about that. Forgot about that slide. I've done this so many times. Like how can I forget the slides? Okay. Anyway. Oh, no, that's not what I want. Oh, no, that is the one I want. Sorry. Is this the jet lag like coming in? Okay. So – we are these the two separate heresies when we try and separate our tridimensionality is we we fall into two different heresies loosely we can categorize them into gnosticism or materialism okay gnosticism has been around for thousands of years um, just ask the Greeks um, and so what it involves is a dualistic concept of being human okay as in you can separate your body from the soul and so what happens is with gnosticism is the soul or the spirit or the feelings is prioritized and the body is regarded as somewhat of an irrelevant burden, okay, or lesser in value. Is that making sense? Somehow it's less important and so what's most important is how I feel and um, my body is less important and so my body kind of has to match up with what I feel, right, and the body gets denigrated, okay. No, like feelings are worshipped over and against physical reality. This is what happens with Gnosticism, all right. No need to worry so much about um, honoring your body okay so and this is what has led to the belief that what I feel on the inside defines truth okay or is more important it underpins uh, like all of the critical gender theory stuff like that as is about what you feel on the inside but the body doesn't matter okay we believe that the body is part of part of God's ownership and it is made in the image of God and that you're actually um, perfectly designed the way you are okay materialism down the bottom there you see that that elevates the exact opposite 
it, okay? Um, uh, if you can't, materialists, if you can't see it, touch it, feel it, hear it, it doesn't matter. It's not real or it matters significantly less. Is that making sense? So kind of the opposite. So what materialism does, um, hello evolutionists, it reduces humans to a physical body and nothing more, okay? And this is, this is a product of the evolution theory which believes you and I are just an accident of atoms with no innate moral uh, or volitional responsibility. The, that's what the, the ideolo ideological um, course of evolution leads to that place, okay? So believes that you and I are just highly developed animals, glorified apes, if you like, that simply respond to our biological environment. Okay, And so we don't have a choice. We're born to be animalistic in our approach to sex. And so a materialistic view of sex, for example, reduces humans to two bodies engaging in an activity that has just no or very little moral, um, emotional or spiritual meaning. Okay, you're tracking with me? So on, upon this worldview, the entire pornography industry thrives. Okay, the, and, and sex trafficking Human sex trafficking thrives on this point of view, okay? Um, the worship of the physical body is uh, inevitable for materialists, okay? And our mind and spirit are burned up on its altar, all right? And so when we talk about sexuality and sex, I, I, I want us to remember it is as spiritual as it is physical. Okay, that's why Hebrews um, 13, I don't think I have a slide. Um, it says in verse 4, it says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness sacredness of um, sexual intimacy between wife and husband. Okay, the definition of sacred is... Um, connected to God or dedicated to a religious purpose, okay? There is, it is a spiritual thing, right? And so, but what happens is, this is what happens and this is what we see in the world all the time. This is what happens when we separate the physical and the spiritual when it comes to sex, okay? Oh, and, and when it comes to relationship. Because let me tell you, what, like the fact that our sex um, is spiritual, um, that our sexuality is spiritual, is what makes us unique creatures, like, it's what makes us humans. It separates us from the animals, okay, who have sex on instinct, right? They have sex on instinct, okay? Animals don't make love and humans don't breed, so to speak. We're different, okay? Um, and But when we separate um, uh, the physical from the spiritual and the moral when it comes to sex, we actually become animalistic in our approach. And when I say we, I just mean humanity, okay? Humanity in general. And so what happens is um, the secular world view of sexuality in this sense it expresses itself in all sorts of forms um humanity when when we're driven by hormones and instincts and desire okay and they make terrible drivers just so you know um you'll get a dui if you put them behind the wheel but we elevate what we feel above what is right and moral okay but it never really stops there and so humans what will eventually happen as you can see on my slide there they eventually become more like objects than image bearers okay objects to be used used instead of beings created in the image of God um, and so in, with hearts and destinies right um, and so what happens is we have casual flings and relationships void of commitment or honor of the other person and what will happen is relationships will become self-driven in nature and what happens is inevitably it'll be driven by um, self-gratification so basically what or who makes me happy that that's going to be the driver for how we do relationships uh, what or who makes me feel good okay uh, what or who makes me feel satisfied 
that gets really dangerous, okay, um, if we don't have any boundaries around that. And be, be, because no human can wholly satisfy. That's right. That's right. There's only one, yes. the God-man. Okay, And so what happens is when we can't get satisfied by the person, we recycle people. Okay, We recycle them because they're not making us feel what we want them to feel. Okay, And so that must mean we need to move on to the next person and see if they measure up. And so the tr- this, is, this is sort of given birth to the try before you buy consumerist dating culture, right? Okay, And so, and, and so people get used. People get used, right? Has anyone felt used before? It's not a great feeling is it um, and so what now what is happening now that we're treating people like objects to be used well when they become objects to us we then conclude we can sell and exchange them and this is literally what it, uh, what uh, drives the human sex trafficking industry this is why what we're talking about matters because um, people if they're sexual objects then will and then sex is given in exchange for money and a lot of money well um, uh, that that's what drives the pornography industry, uh, sex trafficking, where people, like people, are stolen, abused and exchanged for money to powerful people, wealthy people, who have concluded that humans can be reduced to objects, sex can be reduced to pleasure and humanity can be reduced to animals, right? Yeah, and of course, if we can sell and exchange them, then we can get rid of them. Okay, have sex and get pregnant um, rather than bear the consequence of the choice we made when we climbed into bed. Um, we, with the power of the free will given to us, we, uh, we, we, knowing no contraception is 100% effective, society says we can get rid of, we, you can get rid of it. And this is what happens when humanity separates the physical from the spiritual, okay, when it comes to sexuality. What happens is we quite literally dehumanize people when it comes to, in our approach to sex. And nine times out out of 10 this is what makes us feel awkward when we talk about sex this is what makes us feel like it's a dirty word like it should be associated with shame or regret or pain sex is not a dirty word we don't have to choke on it okay (laughs) don't let me go on a tangent okay it's not a dirty word something's only dirty if you throw it in the dirt okay sex is a wonderful gift from god it's his idea I knew you were going to do that too. He's like, holla. Okay. Uh, he's like, preach it louder for the people at the back. They're right there. Okay. I want. <laughs> okay. But I just want to remind us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, tangent, stop it. Good job. You're doing a great job. I need it. I need it. I'm so distractible, clearly. So I want you to remember we are not borrowing the idea of sex and relationships from the world and we're just trying to. Christianize it now, okay? We're not, and we're trying to purify it so it feels more appropriate to talk about in church. That's not what's happening. God came up with the whole idea, okay? And 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 anything God creates is inherently good, right? Inherently good. Have you read the creation narrative? Like, just read it. It's really hard to find in your Bible, but just read it, okay? Genesis one. And and as he's creating the world, every like ten times he creates stuff. He says, "It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good." And he keeps going, and then he gets to you, and he says, "It was very good." Okay. So anything he creates is inherently good. It has to be because the creation reflects the Creator. Okay. So if God created sex, great idea, God. It has to be good for us it will bless us it's good for our body mind um it boosts our immune system science um um 
affirms all of this, of course, gives us energy, endorphins, it helps our sleep cycle, acts as an antidepressant, okay? Interesting, genius engineering, okay? This is not like Ikea furniture, people. Like, God knows how to put stuff together so it works, all right? This is why the male and female physically fit together like a lock and key, like two puzzle pieces gloriously made for one another because when their bodies join in sexual union, it unlocks fruitfulness and potential of new life because we're made to be fruitful and multiply. And so here's where it gets complicated. Um, The enemy can't create anything, okay? He gets really jealous of people who can. He can only corrupt. So what he does is he takes God's good creation and wholesome creation, and then he's going to present to you a perverted version, a corrupt version of it. Why? To rip you off. He hates to bless. He doesn't want you to be blessed. So he's like, how can I rip you off? How can I rip you off? Well, instant gratification was one way, okay? So sex was never ever meant to bring shame, regret or heartbreak. It was always, always meant to be safe and wholesome and fully fruitful and fully joyful. And for it to be this way, it has to, everyone say has to. It was such an ex-youth pastor thing to do, wasn't it? I bet I'm in a youth live conference. That's literally why I did that, okay? Because everyone's doing that. Okay, for it to be this way, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. It has to involve more than just our bodies has to involve our minds, intellect, emotions, and spirit. And it's really time that we stop settling for the serpent scraps, okay? And we rediscover the original unsoiled idea, okay? So let's go back to the very first command. Not ready for that yet. Um, God gave humanity, which was? Be fruitful and multiply it. But have sex. Good job, buddy. You remember? He's like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> that was amazing. Okay. Yes, you are both correct. Okay. So be fruitful and multiply. Ten points for you. Okay. Have sex. Literally the first thing he tells Adam and Eve to do. Because obviously there's only one way to be fruitful and multiply in a physical sense. And it's a great way, okay? I mean, he could have made it an unenjoyable or clinical experience. God could have made it that way, but he didn't. So the question is why? I mean, I, I mean like... Like, like he's a God who loves joy and rest and Sabbath and play. And he's such a good, good God, okay? But just because he not only invented it, wants you to do it and approves of it in the right context, unless he's called you to singleness for the rest of your life, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that sex is trivial or casual. There is nothing casual about it, okay? Sex is a really big deal. Big deal. And I'm going to show you why, even like from a physiological sense. But Hollywood works overtime to convince you that it's not. Okay, so Hollywood invents terms like casual sex, friends with benefits, extramarital affairs, and then tries to convince you that that's normal. (laughs) Okay, common doesn't mean normal, just so you know. Um, Okay, high school education, anyone who went through high school, it's like they teach our young people that as long as you don't get pregnant or an STD and you like know how to put a condom and a banana, you're going to be fine. Okay, (laughs) all right. And let me tell you something, there's nothing casual about this. Okay, there's no such thing as casual sex sex there's no such thing as casual sex no other activity on the earth is so powerful it has the capacity to produce human life have you ever thought about that like not even the angels are allowed the privilege 
of joining God in the creation of new life since they are not sexual beings, but we reflect our creator in this remarkable way. God's not a sexual being, so don't like shout heresy and leave the building, okay? All right? <laughs> that has happened to me before. All right? Got thick skin growing up in Byron Bay. All right? But, but, but no, this literally happened. Um, <laughs> but we image his capacity to create new life. Okay, And so the angels marvel at us. The Bible tells us that. They marvel at us. They're gobsmacked by our design. They're like, what? Right? Like, and the fact that secular society reduces sex to a one-dimensional experience in the form of one-night stands or flings or de facto relationships is shallow because sex is so much better, it's so much more powerful, and it's so much more sacred than that. Okay? And unless – here's the deal. Unless we admit it's powerful – all right, we tend, we tend to misuse and abuse it, okay? Because naturally we handle powerful things differently, okay? Like you would handle a bomb differently to a beach ball. Why? Because one's powerful and one's not. Like you intuitively know the thing that might explode and like kill everybody. I'm going to handle that differently and approach that differently, right? Instead of a beach ball, okay? And so um, it went, why? Because when something is powerful, it has the potential to be wonderful but also dangerous, okay? Wonderful but also dangerous. So you can see there. So sex is like fire a little bit, okay? Fire is powerful, uh, because um, it's both wonderful and dangerous. So what do we do with fire? What do we do with fire if there's fire in our home? Well, we put it within boundaries called a fireplace. And when the fire's in the boundaries of the fireplace, um, it brings warmth and comfort and light and atmosphere. And we toast marshmallows around it, la, la, la. Okay, but if you leave the fire, who's going to start a fire in their living room without a fireplace? No one's going to do that. Because <laughs> this guy, Pyro, right at the back there. Okay, all right, we don't do that because it can burn the house down or turn into a wildfire and it can you can get burned and other people can get burned and that hurts. And this is why sex hurts people because there's no boundaries around it. There's no rules for the game. And people are like, I can't understand Tinder. These are just mind games. What is going on? People get hurt. And so if we don't guard our sexual habits with boundaries, it has the potential to do damage, not just to us, but to others. But safe within the confines of biblical boundaries, it is a wonderful life-giving thing brings warmth and wonder into a marriage, right? And so why is marriage the fireplace for sex? What, why married? Why does that have to be marriage? Why can't we just live together and like buy a dog, okay? Why, like, why can't we just get a dish rack and a tea towel and call it a day? All right, well, okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> because oh, I forgot about that. Sorry. <laughs> forgot about that slide. There we go. Uh, because all well, marriage is as much as sort of woke culture wants to tell you it's a social construct. No, it's not. It's not just a piece of paper. Um, it's not even just a legal contract. It is actually, spiritually speaking, a binding covenant and it must be taken super seriously. And that's why Christians get sort of mad about marriage stuff, okay, because it's a biblical idea. Um, and so let me explain. I want to explain a little bit about covenant for the next few minutes and then we'll get into some fun science stuff. Is that okay? Okay, so the and because if we don't understand covenant, it's really difficult to understand why sex is sacred. All right, so even like if you don't understand covenant, you're not, you're not going to understand your Bible. Your whole Bible is structured in covenant. 
your entire relationship with God is a covenant. Did you know that? So, so it's structured. Who's got a Bible? A real one. Hey, cheers for the probably the one person in the room with a real one. Yeah. <laughs> and so your like your whole Bible is structured in covenant. So technically, it's seven major covenants, but it's the old. It, it's got two overarching covenants. One's called the old covenant. One's called the new covenant. Okay, we use the word testament. Okay, it means the same thing, um, but actually um, there's six major covenants in your Old Testament and then the seventh covenant that fulfills the six is called your New Testament, okay? And so covenant was written into the fabric of society, all right, in, in biblical times and, and not just in like, you know, Israel's story, all the ancient Near East nations. It's written into the fabric of society. It's how it operated, okay? And, and so, and what it is, is an unbreakable vow or oath between two parties as you can, did I, did I write that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I wrote that, okay? And so to ancient humanity, 10 points to me, um, covenant is higher than law. It's higher than the law of Moses, right? And so here's the thing with covenant. You had to do a bunch of stuff to ratify it, okay, to make it valid. And you're going to notice some of this stuff in your Bible, um, uh, like in various places. You might pick it up. So, But what would happen is they would, in order to cut covenant, okay, to make covenant, like whether it's nation to nation or person to person, like um, you had to do all of these things, okay? And everybody knew this in ancient times. Everybody knew this, okay? And so when you exchanged coats, um, you, it would indicate that you were going to share bank accounts, okay? Um, when you exchanged weapons, um, it indicated protection of one another, okay? This is kind of the covenant ceremony. You would exchange names. So what happened is you'd take a part of your name and you would insert it into the other. And so, for example, Abram uh, takes a part of God's name, Yahweh, and becomes Abraham, okay? That's why that happens, all right? Um, and so, and, and Sarah, uh, be, or Sarai, becomes Sarah because she takes the Yah from Yahweh. They make covenant, Genesis 15, 17, okay? You had to split an animal, um, which is kind of like hard to preach in Byron Bay because everyone's vegan, all right? So <laughs> it's like you've just got to like avoid the topic, but we don't. Um, and so, but literally like kids' church is gluten-free. It's like <laughs> you cannot hand out lollies in kids' church. No one's waving their hand right now for me. <laughs> no one's waving their hand. So you had to split an animal and chop it up into pieces and walk between the pieces in the eternity symbol. Magnum ice cream didn't come up with that. Like that's that was covenant in the Bible, the eternity symbol. Um, and so the death of the animal was supposed to be a symbol of what would happen to us if we were to be unfaithful to the covenant. AKA, I will die before I'm unfaithful to you. All right. You'd declare the promises and oaths. You'd um, declare the blessings and the curses. That's what Mo Moses is doing in um, Deuteronomy 28 and 30. Um, you would, there would always be a symbol or a sign of the covenant. So um, Noah's covenant, the Noahic covenant, that the sign is the rainbow. Um, that's the covenant symbol. Um, the Abrahamic covenant, the sign is, sorry, boys, circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> we got out of that scot-free but we have to have the babies right um <laughs> so not really um <laughs> the sign of the mosaic covenant the moses covenant was the sabbath that's why god's really full on about the sabbath in leviticus not that any of you have read that have you <laughs> leviticus any fans of leviticus in here um and then david the davidic covenant the sign was that judah would always have a king on the throne so there's always a symbol an outward symbol right and so um and then you had a covenant meal all right that's actually what 
Passover is. Um, and then you always had a covenant witness. And what the covenant witnesses were there to do was to ensure that people were faithful um, to the covenant. And if they weren't, they would um, get super mad. And so that's what the prophets are doing. <laughs> and that's literally like, this is why it's depressing to read Isaiah, Jeremiah and Lamentations. Because like, I mean, Isaiah 40 onwards is like sweet, but like the first 40 chapters is like, I'm depressed. Like this guy's super mad. And the reason he's super mad is because he's a, he's a witness of the covenant and Israel keep being unfaithful. So it's a reason, like there's a reason. And so anyway, keep going, Nikki. And so, oh, the final one, this is super important. Um, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. It was usually um, a cut on the arm, okay? And you'd become blood brothers. And so here's the deal. Marriage is a covenant. And and most of us don't even realize that we, like secular society follows biblical covenant. It's why we do what we do. It's why you have an aisle going down. It's why, so you ex- you don't exchange weapons, clearly. Like they'd be a little bit interesting. Um, <laughs> Warfare is not our reality, okay? But we vow to protect one another, okay? Um, you exchange names. This is not like, this is, you know, this is, dying out in the name of secular feminism but what what traditionally happens is the woman takes the last name of the man she's literally inserting his name into hers okay and 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 this is not about gender inequality okay it's not a gendered thing it's covenantal procedure okay I'm so happy my name is Nikki Dent I I married Paul and and I I took a part of his name I'm not losing my last name I'm taking his last name and his name and inserting into my life okay because a change of name signifies a change of life and identity dawning from the enjoining of two old lives becoming one new life it's literally why we do that okay and so then you have the splitting of an animal which would really be a downer in a wedding ceremony (laughs) these days okay (laughs) do you guys split an animal (laughs) it probably dampened the vibe a touch but the meaning remains and that is i will die before i'm unfaithful to you or in other words modern terminology till death do us part okay and so you your vows are literally the promises and the oaths and being declared the blessings and the curses that's why we vow and it's so super annoying now when i watch um hollywood movies because the vows are not vows anymore they're like i just remember that time when you made me spaghetti and it was amazing and it's like no that's not vows are that's not it's not about like saying nice things about the person (laughs) like i'm like stop it um no the vows (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you're not vowing to do anything. You're like reminiscing about a dinner. But the vows, (laughs) the vows, no one's waving for me. You guys, you're doing a bad job. (laughs) Yes, thank you, sir. Good, sir, at the back there. And so um, the vows are meant to be a declaration of the oaths in sickness and in health. For richer, for poorer, I'm going to be faithful to you. Okay. And then you had the sign or the symbol. Um, the sign of the covenant is demonstrated by something external that the world can see. All right. And so that's literally why we wear wedding rings. Um, how can you tell if you're off the market? Okay. Uh, just check for a ring on your left hand. Okay. Signifies to the world. Did you just check his hand? <laughs> I'm just going to wave to you, okay? And so <laughs> and so it signifies to the world publicly 
that this couple are bound together in exclusive relationship, okay? And then you had a covenant witness, of course. Did you know like that's literally what the maid of honour and the best man are for? And I don't even think they know that anymore. <laughs> I don't even think my maid of honour known that, but, the, but they have to legally, even now, like in Australia, you have to have two witnesses above 18 uh, to, you, even if you elope, even if you want to elope, you still have to have covenant witnesses, okay? Um, they have to witness the signing of the wedding certificate. And so it's a maid of honour and the best man who do that, okay? Their role, it's kind of an empty tradition now, but their role was always supposed to be to watch over your marriage covenant and ensure that you're both faithful. No one's going to have an affair. No one's going to back out of those vows they made at the altar just because they don't feel like it anymore or just because the bank account's empty or just because someone uh, became sick and got cancer or something and became hard to take care of. No, no, this thing's for life, all right? And then finally, there was bloodshed, okay? Bloodshed. Well, did you know you're going to hate this and it's going to be funny. Um, but the human female is the only creature on the earth born with a hymen, except for one obscure bird and it really annoys me. I'm like, find the bird and kill it. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, what is the bird? Besides the bird, the human uh, female is the only creature on the planet with a hymen and, and which breaks and sheds blood the day she gets releases her virginity. And so this ritual is still upheld in tribal communities today, by the way. Um, it's just the West isn't into it anymore. Um, and so what, what that means, even if we, you know, uh, feel awkward about this, you know, the Jews weren't awkward about this at all. Okay, The Jews were crazy. <laughs> Have you ever read, like, in a good way? Oh, my gosh, careful, Niggy. <laughs> Strike the recording. <laughs> we'll just edit that later. Um, no, <laughs> but they they had okay. They would consummate the marriage right there in the middle of the wedding. They had a bridal chamber right in the middle of the wedding. But the weddings were mad. They went for a whole week. Okay, there was just partying for an entire week. Like that's why they had to save up so much money to get married because they're going to party for a whole week. Sometimes two weeks. In the middle of the wedding ceremony, there was the bridal chamber, and the married couple would go in and consummate the marriage. Okay, um, and so for for the Jewish for the Jewish people, sex was such a central part of married life um, and nothing to be ashamed about. Uh, and so, because <laughs> it's like, wow, in, at the wedding, really? Do we have to be here for this? Um, but private and exclusive, absolutely, um, but totally celebrated. Like, remember, it was the pen of a Jewish man that wrote Song of Songs. Hello. <laughs> you know, and so at a Jewish wedding, um, uh, so what would happen is when they consummated the, the marriage, that means have sex, by the way, if you don't know what that means means um and and so what would happen is once the deed was done the groomsman the best man okay um he would stand outside the bridal chamber and literally wave the bloodstained sheets to the entire wedding party okay <laughs> i told you you would hate it All right, i've just i've got an example over here no i'm kidding <laughs> All right. And er no, here's where it gets even better. Everyone would clap and cheer and be like, the, the wedding. <laughs> this guy, it's been consummated. <laughs> okay. All right. But here is why. Can I tell you why? Because it means that any children born thereafter would be under the blood of the covenant and therefore inherit all the blessings you promised to make at the altar. All right. And in fact, it was the father, talk about a family affair, the father escorted his daughter to the bridal chamber and the parents kept the bloodstained sheets as proof of their daughter's virginity at marriage, okay? And and like I said, tribal communities, this still like, like, ha like rituals like this still happen in other places in the world, okay? And so... 
Again, Genesis uh, 2.24 sums this up really well. It says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So in this case, blood really is thicker than water. And what that means is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb from whence you came. All right? Um, And so this illustration of covenant is radically graphic and radically gracious. Okay, and the picture it paints is very clear. We don't become one flesh from uh, de facto relationships or love letters or, or like emojis or, you know, being boyfriend and girlfriend um, and buying the dog. Okay, we only truly become one flesh through covenant where both parties vow to commit their entire lives to one, like lay their life down to one another. And, and so blood simultaneously represents life and death. And this is the idea of marriage. So, so count the cost because, because it's life together till death do us part, okay? And sex, sexual intimacy is the physical expression of this covenant oneness, okay? It is an outward expression of a spiritual condition and this is why it's spiritual as much as physical and emotional, all right? Is that making sense? It's a marriage covenant. Is supposed to be a snapshot, like a like a picture of our forever relationship, our binding, unending, everlasting relationship that God wants to have with you. Okay, and so I'm going to talk about the science stuff now because I promised that I would, and um and because um our for the foreverness of marriage and, and, and is reflected in our physiology. Okay, so let's talk about biology theology. Okay, biology theology, and so was that the slide I wanted yet? <laughs> you're just so much comic relief in this whole thing um <laughs> we always need at least one person and it's so good thank you lord okay so before i get into that sex is like super glue you might have heard that before but it actually is a physiological adhesive uh, designed to glue two people together uh for the purpose of sticking them together for life and so and 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 so when we engage in sexual activity i mean no one's going to argue with me that a bonding takes place all right no one's going to argue with that um but every time that we change sexual partners well for want of a better word that bond gets less sticky okay and so and so kind of like those strong band-aids that you put on you know they got like an adhesive on them and so it sticks really well the first time right because it's got the glue and then if you rip it off what happens is well it takes a bunch of skin and hairs with it like it's like ah that really hurts and and so and it's it's super painful um but then let's let's say you try and stick that on again right and it might stick it won't stick as well okay and then if you do that again and again, and again, and again, eventually it won't stick at all, okay, if you repeat that process. And and so, and this is what happens when we engage in sexual activity over and over and over and over and over, and over again with a million different partners. Well, what happens is um, the first time we break away from someone will be the most painful, right? And and a lot of people testify to that. And and the most memorable, like it, you have a sexual metabolism, sexual memories, and it'll imprint, particularly with boys, like you have an imprint thing that happens. Um, and, and so, and it's, it's a little bit different to females. And so, um, and so eventually that has led to a culture where sex becomes meaningless, right? And so the sex toy manufacturers really like capitalize off that that dysfunction okay um and the pornography industries they're like yes let's make sex meaningless and like so people have to do weird things for it to mean something right and so and and so everything i'm saying just so you know um everything is restorable everything no like literally on a physiological level 
it is. And I'm going to get to that, but I'll just preface by saying, um, and this is like scientific, I'm not quoting Romans 12 too. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. <laughs> like, so it, like if you literally renew your mind and change the way you think about sex, um, you actually can renew your sexual memories, metabolisms and bonding. Yeah, amazing. So when Paul said... Romans 12.2, you're transformed by the renewal. That, that's actually true on even a physical level. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Is that okay? Um, okay. I just thought I'd preface that. So nothing I'm saying now can't be undone. And is that not the gospel? Yeah. Um, and so anyway, um, <clears throat> what was I saying before? I totally forgot. Um, no, I didn't. Okay. We can't separate body and soul. Like, I mean, I've said that a thousand times, but... Like, literally, we can't because um, when we engage in sexual activity of any kind, well, hormones or neurochemicals are going to be released in your body that affect the soul realm, okay? That's your mind, will, and emotions, okay? So no matter what our values are or our belief system or whatever, like our ideology or our reasons, like, this is still going to happen in your body, okay? And so, like, how does this glue work? Well, it's different for males and females because who knows that males and females are different? <laughs> and so, oxytocin... <laughs> It, we sat at different tables for dinner tonight. We just <laughs> we were just feeling it, okay. And so, and so, what happens is um, when a, when when a woman engages in sexual activity of any kind, um, um, it it she releases oxytocin. Okay, can you see those things there? And so, this is going to allow a woman to bond to the most significant people in her life. Um, it's actually nicknamed the cuddle hormone, which is funny to me, or the love hormone. And it, it as you can see, it eases stress. It creates feelings of closeness. It triggers the trust circuits in her brain. Ladies, even a long hug can trigger the trust circuits in your brain, even if that person hasn't earned your trust regardless. So careful who you hug for a long time, okay? <laughs> okay, because they might not have earned your trust yet. And so it, and so it causes her to want to um, nurture and protect the one she's bonded to. God's really clever in the way he's designed us. And here's the thing. It's not just... Um, released when she engages in sexual activity, massively released when she gives birth to her baby, okay? And so, and especially when she breastfeeds that baby for the first uh, first time ever, it is the main hormone, like the main hormone, it absolutely floods her brain um, uh, that promotes infant mother bonding in those crucial early days. So it absolutely surges when she has a baby to ensure she is bound to that baby for life, okay? And it promotes a willingness for her sacrifice herself for that child okay and so these wonderful hormones and honestly it is like the best drug out there right I've I've had three kids oxytocin is like the best drug out there okay it's just I was high on it for like three months after I had my kids these wonderful hormones are released in these copious amounts to bond her to someone for life not a temporary interest because family is the first covenant community presented to us in scripture bound by blood okay and so for the men you don't miss out okay you have vasopressin <laughs> okay uh, you do get a little bit of oxytocin gentlemen but this is your primary hormone that is released when you have sex and this hormone obviously causes a man want to bond to a woman and the, so some call it the commitment hormone or the monogamy molecule okay <laughs> monogamy meaning um one partner and the reason for that is this hormone generates it and and it's like secular scientists like can't figure this out like why do our bodies do this 
because this does not line up with the idea of evolution because the evolution ideology is like promotes the idea to have sex with lots of people to pass your genetics on like natural selection all that stuff and so they can't figure out why we're designed this way <laughs> like why are we designed for one partner right so well, I'll tell you why because um, we're not monkeys but what was I saying um, <laughs> and so this <laughs> yes thank you uh, were you clapping or were you like like oh, oh clapping not waving yes okay so it <laughs> I am now. Okay. It rouses loyalty. It inspires a protective sense over one's mate. And it creates that jealous tendency that you see break out like, you know, outside the pub and in high school corridors. Like, she's mine. Hands off. Okay. <laughs> but there is like a holy context for jealousy, guys. Because God even claims to love his people with a jealous love. Okay. And and the reason for that is because, um, because like God demands exclusivity of worship from us. Like we're not going to go worship ourselves or other gods um, because because if we did, it means we wouldn't love him. I demand exclusivity of love and faithfulness from my husband like be, because that means he loves me, right? And married married love is a privileged and exclusive love. So we can love, we can get jealous about that, okay? That's actually a holy thing. And so a man's brain is inundated uh, with vasopressin during sex, creating a bond with the woman, okay? No matter who they are or what they look like, all right? And, and just like oxytocin, it promotes bonding between sexual partners, um, not just sexual partners, sorry, but also between father and child. So when he holds his newborn baby for the first time, his brain is just like going off with vasopressin, right? And when my when my husband held our baby girl for the first time, he thought three minutes passed and it was legit three hours. But he swears it was three minutes because – and so he, he bonds with that child. So the, the, the fathers um, don't miss out on the bonding with the children, okay? Uh, just just got to be in the room, fellas, okay? <laughs> when the baby's born, then don't be like at the pub smoking a cigar like the 1950s, okay? Be in the room. All right, and then there's one more set of hormones and they're the happy hormones, the endorphins, okay? Highly addictive by the way all right makes people want to experience the rush again and again and 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 that um that's the thing okay and so all these all these hormones act like you know hormonal super glue and they glue two people together and they're supposed to glue two people together forever okay they connect our body and our soul our physicality and our spirituality and they're supposed to hold us together and remain faithful to one another for life okay and so proverbs 5:18 says um let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you rejoice in the wife of your youth and so really what do i have that written down no we'll get onto that in a second and guess where we're going okay pornography all right but god has reached this <laughs> Hey, you got me here, all right? This is what I do. Okay, God has rigged the system. <laughs> Somebody wave at me. Um, so that your one spouse will be a fountain of, of, of blessing and a reason to shout hallelujah, okay? Um, the person you marry in your youth will still be a blessing in the bedroom when you have more wrinkles and your lower back hurts all the time, okay? Um, because, the, <laughs> because we have children, like they hurt our backs. Do you not have back issues? I have back issues. Okay, the power of perversion. <laughs> will never match the power of exclusivity because you and I are made for it, we're created for it. Why? Because we're created for covenant and our biology aligns with our theology. Um, and, so, and so people tend to try and put, you know, political and, and cultural fig leaves over, over our differences, but, 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 but we are different. And, and there's a celebration between those differences. I don't really have time to go into that because I feel like I've talked for a long time. Let's just go to – so 
So, hang on. All right, so you can see how our different wiring here, you know, we're wired differently, um, sets us up to honour one another within our differences, okay? Men and women are different and what, what it means is we have to lay down our lives and our own needs and, and desires in submission to one another in the married context in order to bless and serve one another, okay? And so what happens is when we are in this safe context and, and we submit to one another and honour one another and, and commit to one another and lay down our lives for each other, well, what happens is um, we will be free fruitful and multiply in every way and I'm not just talking about marriage I'm not just talking about kids sorry uh, or procreation we will have a fruitful marriage and a fruitful family and a fruitful ministry and a fruitful calling right okay and and really the church should stand in stark contrast to the conflict and power struggles that plague humanity because kingdom sons and kingdom daughters are meant to celebrate one another and foster this powerful unity it's meant to be winsome and like beautiful to a watching world okay the way we do sexuality and relationships okay and so so, for this reason, it's actually the devil who hates sex, not God, okay? Like, newsflash, God never never hates sex, okay? It's, it's the devil doesn't. Why does the devil hate sex so much? Uh, because he hates life and blessing. And, and so, he knows sex brings a connection that both expresses and generates life and blessing. And as we said before, like, he can't create, but he can counterfeit. Have you ever seen counterfeit money? Neither have I. But um, at a quick glance, this is my, I'm a country pastor. This is like my, my weekly paycheck. Um, <laughs> literally. Um, okay, so, so count me money. I wish it was a joke. Um, <laughs> we don't make any money in the country. Okay, so no one's waving at me. At a quick glance, when you look at, say, um, counterfeit money, like a fake, right, um, it looks the same as real money. It looks the same. Um, but if you insert it really closely a trained eye will spot the difference a trained eye and so and the thing about fake money is it's not worth anything and it can't buy you anything even if it looks like the real thing okay you just wind up bankrupt and so how, how do I know this money is authentic and not a counterfeit well what you have to do with Australian money anyway is you hold it up to the light because what happens is every Australian um, dollar bill is is stamped with the hologram of the Australian coat of arms but you can only see it if you hold it up to the light right is anyone picking up what I'm putting down there there's a lot of fake versions of sexuality out there I'll keep that because that's my rent right um, <laughs> I'm not going to do that like Pentecostal televangelist thing like who wants $50 no it's mine I need it I'm going to send my kids to school okay so there's a f <laughs> there's a lot of fake versions of sexuality out there okay and more than ever I need you to hold it hold those versions of sexuality up to the light of God's truth and that's literally what we're doing right now because when we do lustful sexuality will be exposed for what it is shallow and selfish right authentic sexuality is stamped with the approval and the blessing of God and it's authenticated with covenant commitment so what lust is is the devil's counterfeit of sexual blessing and he just he's been wanting us to fall for it since the garden okay but if we hold it up to the light like if we inspect lust like in, at a glance it's like no nah, it's cool it's the same we have a dog you know but if you hold it up to the light you can actually see it yields brokenness and pain and shame and, and God doesn't want us to feel shame he doesn't want us to 
experience that kind of pain and heartbreak, heartbreak, right? And so it doesn't carry the dignity or the worth of the real thing. And so if we try and spend it proverbially, we'll end up sexually bankrupt, okay? And so what lust is, oh, I've written it down there, is driven by the uncontrolled desire to satisfy self outside of God's boundaries and will, okay? And what it does, what lust does, and this is what the devil wants you to do, it attempts to plunder sexual blessing without, so like minus the sacrifice commitment and selflessness that a covenant relationship requires okay so they say this is what Hollywood says and humanism is like okay let's take a shortcut let's have sex without intimacy sex without commitment even sex without another person why not okay like pornography all right and so so let's talk about pornography for a second because this really is like the pandemic the real pandemic on the planet today okay and so uh Pornography is just self-centered sex, okay? And 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 it 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 provides sexual stimulation without having to honor or meet the needs of anyone else but yourself, right? And so but but here's the thing about sex, we've been talking about this. It is supposed to involve knowing and being intimately known by another image bearer. Okay? And so porn is a parody like a parody of sexual blessing and not even close to the real thing, not even close to the real thing, right? And so trust me, this is one shortcut you don't want to take people, all right? It's not going to take you where you want to go. It's really similar to, say, um, eating junk food all day uh, ruins your appetite, right? Your mama ever told you that? Okay, <laughs> it's true. And so, so, so feeding on pornography will completely ruin your authentic sexual appetite, okay? It'll just ruin your future sex life, so I'm just helping you out tonight okay um and so so and here's the thing here's the thing about appetite sexual or otherwise our appetite is shaped according to what we feed it okay so if we're hooked on sugar salt and maccas and we don't even have maccas in Myron but msg I know I know how do I do youth ministry okay but eventually if that's all we eat that's all that will satisfy Right, and what happens is um, we need more and more um, to gratify the increasingly uncontrolled cravings. This is how it works, okay? And what pornography is going to do is going to train your brain for unrealistic sexual experiences and excessive stimulation, okay? And so by the time people climb into bed with their spouse, they're not hungry for the real thing, and they're like, "Why does my sex life suck? Like, like it's like, what's wrong here?" Okay. Because instead of viewing their um, spouse as a sacred image bearer, their brain, whether their heart says something different, their brain is now trained to view them as a porn star in the bedroom. And they don't, like, they don't even want to do that, but that's just how their brain works now. And so the dopamine hit from porn it works very similar to narcotics, okay? It actually works on the same part of your brain as narcotics, okay? So like crack, okay? <laughs> you needed some examples there. Uh, cocaine, heroin, um, okay? So same part of the brain and so and also in the same way as hard drugs um, the excessive stimulation results in reduced capacity so what happens is you build up a tolerance to it and you need more and more to get the same result and this makes for a terrible sex life and a huge turnoff obviously so let's just forget Christianity for a moment let's forget morality or spirituality okay let's look at this purely just for 
from a health point of view, um, for your personal sexual health, if you want to know the best and most pain-free way to have a healthy and wholesome and fulfilling and awesome and joyful sex life, it's actually to wait until you're married and do it exclusively with your spouse and not your phone, okay? So that's that, and that's not a sacrifice. That's just a really smart investment, really smart investment, okay? And so, and here's the good news about our appetite, friends, is like I said, whatever you feed will grow, whatever appetite you feed will grow and whatever appetite you starve will shrink. Your appetite can change, right? So no one actually is locked in by their appetite, okay? And that doesn't just apply to sexuality, but like relationships, that toxic person we're interested in, okay? Um, and, 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 all, and our hunger for the Word of God, okay? Like our appetites sh- are shaped according to what we feed or don't feed it, okay? And so, and it's like when, when God set the Israelites free um, uh, fr- from Egypt, okay? Like he split the Red Sea. Anyone notice that took one night? <laughs> but they were in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> so that took one night. He split the Red Sea, brought them onto resurrection ground on the other side um, and then he spent 40 years feeding them bread from heaven okay the manna does anyone remember that anyone read exodus why did he do that he was reshaping their appetites for the promised land for the promised land because the promised land had the fruit it had the milk and honey it had the resurrection food it had the the wine and the oil and the grain it had the good stuff they literally called it the good land but they were still hooked on egyptian food like the onions and stuff and so and so what God had to do in the wilderness was reshape their appetites to get off the Egyptian food and start craving the things of God. Your appetite can change. Manna was always a, a, a type, a foreshadow of the Word of God. Always. And so the Word of God can literally, you pattern your mind after the Word of God, you, no matter how you've messed up your appetite, it can change. Like you, if you're hooked to McDonald's, like you don't have to be hooked to maggots for the rest of your life. You can just, you can start eating different kind of food and eventually your body is going to change, get less addicted to sugar and start getting hooked on healthy food. That's what happens in our bodies. It also happens with your sexual metabolism. Cool. And so what sometimes getting healed and becoming whole requires us to starve ourselves of certain things, come on somebody, until our appetite has been reshaped and redirected. And I want to tell you something. There is nothing better than an appetite that hits the bullseye. Like, and what I mean, like, it's like you've been drinking salt water for years and wondering why you haven't gotten thirsty and then one day someone just gives you a glass of water. That's what it feels like to have an appetite that hits the bullseye, okay? Does that make sense? And so, um, so all right, let's move on. So God has um, ordained sex to take place in this covenant, this binding covenant, and rigged the system, of course, so that it works best in that context. Why? Why has he done that? Um, because sex within marriage covenant preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel, okay? I've said this, I said this before. Um, Ma- oh, do I have a slide? No. Oh, do I have a slide? Yeah, I do. Um, marriage requires not only a lifelong commitment, um, but a continual, continual laying down of our lives for one another. Okay, so Ephesians five twenty-five to twenty-nine lays out just some outstanding relationship theology. Okay, we're not going to talk complementarian or egalitarianism. Okay, let's just leave that to the side. <laughs> Eyebrows are being raised. Okay, all right. It says this. This is some of the most beautiful relationship theology you'll ever read in your Bible. Okay, um, it says for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for 
for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Paul is revealing a profound truth embedded in every successful marriage. Serving your spouse is serving you. Blessing them is blessing you. Their joy is your joy, okay? And sexual intimacy is a beautiful expression of this covenant oneness. It's putting their needs before your own and it was never meant to be the giving of yourself for the sake of yourself. Sexual intimacy is meant to be the yielding of yourself to another in a private setting charged with sacred mystery and trust that results in both parties being blessed. It is a sexual gospel. In the beginning, God made one flesh into two. He pulled Eve from Adam's side. Remember that? And in marriage, there is a death of sorts where two become one flesh. Do you see the beauty in that? The only way to become one, right, is the dying of self in order to serve another, right? And we don't like to talk about that in a culture that worships self. And, and, and we're wondering why like over 50% of marriages end in divorce because the cross isn't at the centre of it. Sexual intimacy is an extraordinary expression of this profound truth. The sexual gospel is the receiving of blessing that is attained through the giving of self to become one in the most winsome of ways. This is sex. And you could not get any further from our culture of sexual, selfish sensuality. And so, like I said, sex is always meant to be safe and wholesome and intimate and fruitful. And for it to be this way, as I said, has to involve all of us not just a part of us, right? And, um, and uh, I love the particular language used by the message paraphrase. Paul drops some exquisite um, sexual theology when he says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians um, 6, 16, he says, there's more to sex than skin on skin. There's more to sex than skin on skin. He says, sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. He's quoting Genesis there, right? And so it says, since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never become one. I'm still reading from the scripture, by the way. (laughs) So this isn't Nikki's opinion. Um, And then it says, there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from others. And actually, I might have a slide. There it is. Um, and and <laughs> just a tiny bit late. Everyone's fine. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God given and God modeled love, becoming one with one another. Your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, uh, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you because that's Gnosticism. That's what the Greeks were saying at the time. Okay, God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now, before we get that, let that lizard in the garden wreak shame like he did <laughs> uh, and send us running for fig leaves again, okay, I want to remind us Paul is not writing that to pagans or virgins, just so you know. 
Okay, he is writing to a people who previously in his own words, he says this in verses uh, 9 to 11, use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it and don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. Like, whoa, Paul, Israel Flau got in a lot of trouble for quoting that one. Okay, they were relatively fresh. So not PC. They were relatively fresh Christians. These people who had been born into and swept up into a Hellenistic, a Greek culture of sexual chaos. But then he says this. I think I've got it somewhere there. Maybe I don't. He says this. He says in verse 11, Since then, since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by God present in us, the Spirit. So there is just there is no room for condemnation between the words of Scripture. There's just no room for it. If you need a fresh start, you won't get it from the world. You won't get it from council culture. You will get it from Jesus. This is what Paul is saying here. The world's just going to cancel you. Time doesn't heal our wounds. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit carries the medicine of mercy, of healing and of grace and redemption. Paul says, God present in us. The Holy Spirit has been transforming the earth since he was hovering over the waters at creation and brought order and design and life out of what was chaos and void. And guys, he hasn't stopped. This is his ministry. No matter how much chaos we might have got ourselves in, he hasn't stopped brooding over our lives with the intention to bring order, design and life and fruitfulness out of our chaos. Okay, so in back to the garden, this is where I'm going to finish so everyone's like praise the lord you ready for me to finish now okay we've we've we've, no stone has been left unturned in here tonight um let me talk about something genesis 2 25 describes the first man and woman as naked and unashamed naked and unashamed this is a profound declaration in an era where sex and shame are often found in the same sentence but after they disobeyed god afterwards it says that they uh, sowed fi- they suddenly felt shame you see that word they suddenly felt shame did i have it there yeah, sweet. Um, and, and, and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. And notice their shame was directed towards their differences. They covered their genitalia. And so now we have broken sexuality from this moment and broken hearts. And, and how do we fix this? How do we fix this? Well, the world doesn't know how to fix this, okay? And so, and so in the vacuum of truth, you know, sort of culture tries to find all these ways and come up with all these ideas uh, to try and fix the sexual chaos. And it's not working, right? But God already gave us a part of the body that can be transformed. And ironically, it can't be seen from the outside, (laughs) the inside. We were talking about that before. But so powerful is it, it tells the rest of the body what to do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So some of us might ask, and, and people often do, teach this can can I who have has experienced sexual sin and brokenness and heartbreak and pain and or even relational relational or emotional psychological can I can I have can I still have a meaningful and wonderful marriage have I screwed it up forever like like hearing all of this stuff about hormones and and can I can I have a healthy sex life and 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 future a fruitful future absolutely you can absolutely you can Not one inch of you, 
Not one inch of you is withheld from the transformative power of the Gospel. And friend, this is why it's really good news. This is why it's really good news. And so in order to experience transformation, you have to pattern your mind after God's thinking. Okay, this is how it works. We have to change the way we think about sex and dating and relationships. Is sex merely for personal pleasure uh, or is it an exclusive gift of intimacy for marital covenant, like the greatest, most intimate gift we can give another image bearer? Is dating for selfish experimentation or is it a process of trust to discern who is appropriate to receive my gift of intimacy? one day okay is marriage a social construct really or is it a biblical covenant to reflect the mystery of the gospel all right and so if Christ can renew your mind that literally means he can renew your sexual metabolisms your sexual uh, memories bringing us to sexual wholeness and sexual blessing he doesn't erase your memories and give you some sort of amnesia he transfigures them and he changes the lenses through which you see them this is what he does and the word for transformation I just love it. I just love it. It's the Greek word metamorphu. Can you guess what um, English word we get from that? Metamorphosis. <laughs> well done, my friend. Okay, another 10 points for you. To, and so he's on 20. Metamorphosis is not just a change. Okay, it's not just a change. Right? It's so much more than that. Metamorphosis is a transfiguration into an entirely different species. One that receives a new nature. Okay, so when the counter pillar undergoes metamorphosis what does it do it transforms into a butterfly okay it changes shape and form becoming a new creature entering an entirely new environment uh, why because it has wings now and it didn't have wings before but it spent some time in the cocoon and in the cocoon it kind of like disintegrates into a goo and then it builds back up biologically into a different creature okay some of us need to disintegrate into goo okay all right and so what that butterfly actually operates on a different in, uh, diet because it has a new uh, appetite and it lives in the air instead of on the ground. And that is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone in Christ is a new creation, a new creation. You're in a new kingdom and you have a new nature and you're going to undergo a transformation and the transformation is going to affect every part of you, your body and your mind and your spirit's going to align with that new kingdom nature. And the world cannot conceive of this, right? They can't, they're like, what? They can't conceive of this kind of transformational power. And so they stare at caterpillars and they just can't imagine them ever having wings. So they're just like, I'm going to come up with some shoes for you, okay? So you can feel good in your brokenness. But no, the, the gospel is the power of transformation. Transformation, okay? Grace without judgment just gives us a message of tolerance, right? Judgment without grace gives us cancel culture. But when the judgment and grace culminate in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you get a message of transformation. You get a message of transformation. And that's what I'm giving you tonight, a message of transformation. Because no one else can fix this, but Jesus can fix this. Hallelujah. This is what redemption is for. This is what restoration is for. The deal is He's already paid the price. I'm going to show you this. And then I absolutely promise I've landed the plane. Like I'm done. You can like send me out, start the car, okay? Like, no, I'm not going to start the car. Okay, but for this reason, Paul says the body is the Lord's in 1 Corinthians 6, 13. But no, shut up, Nikki. Say the other thing. What is it? <laughs> the, the last covenant. I want to go back to the covenant. 
the covenant stuff we're talking about. Jesus honoured us with His body when He died in it. And regardless of what we've done with ours, He secured our redemption and our healing and our wholeness and our hope when He rose in His. And so our whole belief system orientates around a covenant, the new covenant, right? A covenant with God. And marriage covenant is a snapshot of this. Just so you know, it's supposed to be a snapshot of this. If you are a believer in Jesus tonight, you have entered in to this covenant. Like the blood has been cut for you to enter into this covenant, right? He has shared His bank account with us. You enter into the riches of His grace, the glorious inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, you you have the same bank account as God. Okay, you share bank accounts. All right, you exchange names. What you have done is you've taken Christ's name and you've inserted it into yours and you now call yourself a Christian. Okay, that is your new name. And blood cutting, of course, is the most sobering part of Good Friday. Christ symbolically becoming the animal split into pieces, dying for us on a cross, His blood sealing the covenant. What happens is we are then freed from the curses of sin and broken covenant, right? And we inherit the blessings of God. We celebrate this with a... With a um, a covenant meal called the Lord's Supper. You might know it by communion. We have a sign of our covenant. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the water baptism. And I love this in Ephesians 1.13. You can see it there. It says, In Him you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. That word guarantee is the Greek word arabon. literally means engagement ring. And our covenant witness who keeps watch over this covenant, convicting us when we break it, affirming us when we keep it, is the prophetic voice of God, or what we call the witness, the witness in our spirit, the Holy Spirit witness. And finally, has anyone ever wondered why Jesus carried His scars into eternity? Why did He do that? Why why did the God-man who resurrected, why did He come back with scars? That doesn't make any sense. Well, here's the thing. The resurrected Christ came back with scars because Jesus is now our blood brother who carries the mark of covenant and his scars are the seal of blood covenant held in his body forever testifying of this new covenant he has made with us forever testifying of the redemption that is one for you and so another word for covenant is testament and this is the last thing I'll say when a new when a person writes their word last will and testament it means they're going to die Okay, and it means at their death, all their property, like when someone writes a will, like the last will and testament, all their property, all their deeds, all their, all their um, estate and their possessions go to whoever is named in that will. You are named in that will. Like every one of you, if you've entered into the covenant. Because he died, it means you get the blessing of the new covenant. You get it all. You get it all. And it means your sin doesn't qualify, uh, disqualify you and, and your good works don't qualify you either. <laughs> Only your trust in Jesus. And once you enter in, friends, you hold the deeds. You hold the deeds. You hold the deeds. And so every believer, in not just special clever people who have got it right most of their life, okay, and have like Christian hashtags and scriptures in their Instagram bios, okay, no, like, like every believer, right, holds the deeds, 
to healthy sexuality, healthy relationships, healthy families, um, and healing and wholeness and redemption and restoration, not because of your past or your present, but because Christ Christ has passed that will and testament onto you. And so there's not actually one person in here tonight who is not worthy of the renewing and the restoring power of this gospel. Not one of you, right? Not one of you. No one is disqualified. And so this is our promise. This is our promise. And you know what? This is countercultural sexuality, hallelujah. But let me tell you, it is the kind of sexuality that is anchored in hope and not brokenness. And, and sexuality, it's not tainted by shame, but it's fully joyful, fully fruitful, and your yields fruitfulness through the generations. It leaves a legacy and it honours others above self. And most importantly, it images the gospel to those around us. And so is anybody grateful for the vision of God? <laughs> She's done. She's done. I want you to stand.